Hello and welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast. I'm Sats Mundin here without Lebda's Legacy. Lebda is, uh, he's working tonight, so he won't be able to make it. That means you guys are stuck with the sweet, sweet sounds of Sats as we recap another win for the Toronto Maple Leafs. A 2-1 win over the New York Rangers. Their fifth straight win and their 10th win in 11 games. The boys are absolutely rolling. They're skyrocketing up the NHL standings right now. Only two points behind the Florida Panthers, who... Just keep on winning, even with that Alexander Barkov injury. So it's nice to see the Leafs keeping pace, and it's looking like we're going to have a real, real run for the division title this year. And and given where things started for this Toronto Maple Leafs team, you know, after that Carolina game, first couple periods of the Chicago game, it's crazy to think how far things have come in just a matter of weeks. The Leafs, early on in the season, they were leaking chances left, right, and center. They couldn't. They couldn't get a lead, and even when they did, they couldn't hold on to it. They were just so creaky at the back. And just the last two games, tonight and, and the one against Nashville, it just seems like they've been such a solid, solid defensive team, not giving much to the Rangers in, in terms of, of anything near the crease, really. Jack Campbell being solid when he had to be. And I think a big, big credit over these last two games has to go to Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin. We've criticized them so much on the podcast this year. They've, like I said earlier in the year, they were just absolutely leaking chances, leaking goals, getting beat for odd man rushes, just getting flat out beat in their own end and and just looking lost at times. And they've really turned it around over these last couple games. Jake Muzzin, he's been turning it around for a few weeks. Muzzin or uh, Hall, you know, after he sat for those few games, I thought the first couple games after we re-entered the lineup, he didn't really show any improvement. But tonight I thought was a lot better from him. He uh, he wasn't noticeable, which is exactly what you want out of a shutdown defenseman. They just did their job, got the puck out, ended up with 85% of the expected goals on the night. And that's exactly what you want to see from your shutdown pair. And the Leafs were also able to get a ton of offense from the back end at the hands of Morgan Riley. He was... You know, the first goal he had was was a screenshot. It comes off a nice fourth-line shift where Wayne Simmons was able to kind of come through the puck on the half wall, got it to Riley. Michael Bunting with a nice screen out front, and Riley's shots just seems to find the top corner. It's kind of an interesting goal, too, because it looked like Michael Bunting did, like, almost did the flamingo where you lift, you lift one leg, and it looked like he was doing it in an attempt to kick the puck. He didn't end up doing that, and the puck ended up finding the back of the net, so it got the Leafs off to a quick start, and then... Morgan just got such a taste for scoring after that first goal that later on in a power play in the second period, he pulled an excellent move, kind of sucking in a defenseman and then pulling off the toe drag and shooting it home. It was it was really good to see because it's been it's kind of funny coming in earlier on in the year. The complaints were, oh, the top six isn't scoring, the top six isn't scoring. Boom, they score. Then it becomes, oh, the bottom six isn't scoring, the bottom six. Kasham parries a couple, Kampf buries a couple. All of a sudden, the complaint goes to what? The defense can't score. So Morgan Riley says, you know what, guys? I got this. I may not have the slap shot of Dion Phaneuf, who uh, who retired the other day, but I got a bit of a tricky wrister. So he he was able to find the back of the net twice tonight, and, and that followed up the game-winning goal he had against Buffalo on Saturday. So it was really nice to see him bury a couple goals. Him and Brody were quite solid on the night at 56% expected goals at even strength. Uh, the the poorest defense pairing of the night had to have been Dermot and Sandine down at 
I didn't find them particularly noticeable in a negative way, but they just they seem to be in their end more often than not tonight, and it leaves you wondering uh, what what Sheldon Keith is going to do going into the next game because Timothy Lilligren has, in my mind, unquestionably been one of the Toronto Maple Leafs' six best defensemen this year. There's no reason for him to have sat these previous two games. Uh, but my dad did make a good point today when I brought that up with him, and he said, well, the Leafs clearly aren't trying to trade Timothy Lilligren. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Keith is probably keeping that in mind, playing Hall. More likely, although it's kind of against my wishes, trading, trying to prop up Travis Dermott for a potential trade. And I got to say, Dermott uh, didn't really show himself well, didn't probably do too much to increase any trade value he might have. And I definitely would not be surprised at all if uh, Timothy Lilligren does slot into the next Leafs game. It'll be interesting to see how Keefe kind of plays the defense going forward if he does just continue to rotate the bottom three guys in Dermott, Sandine, and Lilligren. Personally, like we've said on this podcast so many times, I would love to see him give Jake Muzzin a night off, give TJ Brody a night off. Uh, one of our followers on Twitter, Wendell Maniac, he said the same thing. He just would like to see more load management from this coaching staff. And I got to agree at this point, the way we're rolling, we're, we're so clearly in a playoff spot. If until we trade that seventh defenseman, or if we just roll the whole year, I think it'd be a great idea to, uh, to continue to rotate these guys and just kind of see what we have in these different pairings. Now, speaking of kind of, feeling things out and and seeing what you have. The Leafs have been doing that with Nick Ritchie back on the first line again. And I got to say, I, I'm not really impressed. Now that line was by no means bad tonight. They were, they were solid defensively. They had 72% of the expected goals while they were on the ice, but that was 72% of a low amount. They're, they're not giving up anything on the defensive end, but they're also not creating a ton. They did get a few chances tonight. Richie was able to set up Marner with a good play. Marner kind of whiffed the shot a bit. Matthews and, and Marner generated a few things kind of individually. But it, it just looks like the Leafs are lacking another presence on that line, which I know it's it's tough to say when you're, when you're paying two guys $22 million. But at the same time, you just... It's, it's okay for regular season games, but come playoffs, I think the Leafs really do need to upgrade that position, whether that's returning Michael Bunting to that position. Uh, we've seen that line really succeed. We saw Nylander, Bunting, and Matthews. They posted an expected goals of four goals per 60 minutes of ice time this year, while Richie Matthews Marner has only produced 2.5. So that line just struggles to create offensively. It's it's similar to Joe Thornton where Matthews and Marner kind of have to do the heavy lifting in the neutral zone. But to me, the difference is at least when they got into the offensive zone, Joe Thornton is an all-time passer in hockey. So he could, you got him the puck down low, he could actually create stuff. Whereas Nick Ritchie, his only offensive skill is pretty much finishing in close. And he hasn't done that at all this year. Most of his shots I've seen even tonight just were kind of like off the rush, weak shots on a one-on-one -on -one at the top of the circle, something like that. So it is it is kind of disappointing to watch him there kind of saddling that line in a way. I think it's pretty clear at this point that he's best suited to a bottom six role. We saw that line with, with Spezza, Ritchie, and Simmons actually generate a ton of chances in the few games they were together, although they couldn't finish. 
But I think you just got to go back to that eventually. Like like I said earlier, I am okay with Sheldon Keith trying stuff because the regular season is all about seeing what's going to work for the playoffs. We know that the previous line combinations, Bunting, Matthews, Nylander, even though Keith said that Nylander and Matthews were generating chances individually and not as a team, it doesn't matter. They generated a ton of chances when they were together. And maybe they were able to generate chances individually more so because of the space that the other guys command. The, the defense had to account for Willie while Matthews is on the ice and vice versa. And that was leading to a ton of chances. So I think they do need to, to go back to that line. And, and like I said, if you're having Nick Ritchie on that line, nobody's, as long as he's not parking his ass in the front of the net, nobody really is concerned with Nick Ritchie in the zone, which just makes it that much harder for Matthews and Marner to generate anything. I would be interested to see, given that, Keith didn't seem to love bunting on that line, even though, I, like I said, I thought it was a pretty good pretty good line with him and Nylander and Matthews. I wouldn't mind seeing Kerfoot and Nylander between Matthews because we've seen the, the excellent chemistry that those two have. And then you throw Austin Matthews into the mix. You got two shooters. You got a guy in Kerfoot who's a pretty solid passer who's playing probably his best hockey as a Toronto Maple Leaf, especially if you consider and you include those two playoff games. And then that just allows you the ability to play Marner and Tavares together where they've really thrived in my mind. That's kind of when John Tavares and Mitch Marner both had their hot streaks. They were playing well together. I think is Nylander Matthews better than Marner Matthews? It may not be. It, it may be in my eyes, some something close to a wash, but I do think that Matt, that Marner and Tavares just do seem to play better together. They kind of, seem to have recaptured a bit of that chemistry that they had in, in Tavares' first season as a Leaf. And I would love to see them continue, whether the winger on that line is Michael Bunting, someone else in the lineup, or the Leafs very likely could pursue someone at the trade deadline, whether that be a, a rental like a Forsberg or a Hurdle or, or someone else like that. I think it could be a major addition for the Leafs. And I just think we saw last year, you can't really, you can't afford to have any any boat anchors on a line so it's it's going to be tough to see Nick Ritchie anywhere near the top six in the playoffs. And to be honest, with the way he's playing, I think he is a fine fourth liner. But just when he's commanding $2.5 I think Kyle Dubas is going to have to do everything he can to trade this guy. Because to be honest, at this point to me, the only thing keeping him in this lineup is the fact that he's getting $2.5 million. The Leafs know if they sit him that nobody's going to want to trade for him. And then they're... They're basically up shit's creek with them. I see a lot of I had some debates on Twitter tonight. A few people thinking that, you know, he's he's at least better than Engvall. But I gotta say, the Pierre Engvall slander is is getting a bit out of control in my mind. I think Pierre Engvall has become somewhat of a Swedish forward version of Jake Gardner. He's obviously nowhere near the talent that Jake Gardner is, but I think he's the same. He gets the same kind of perception as those guys in the sense that he can make a hundred good plays, nobody says anything, he makes one bad play, and all of a sudden Twitter's in flames. Does the guy finish? No, he's not a good finisher. But what is he good at? He is very, very good at taking the puck from his own end and bringing it to the other end. And we've seen the value in that with the comp line this year. A lot of people are giving a lot of credit to David Kampf, and deservedly so. Also, Andre Kasha, like we, we've praised him time and time again on this playoff or on this podcast. But I think we need to show a bit more respect to Pierre Engvall for what he's done this year. He's consistently been a part of 
one of the best defensive lines in hockey. And even if you go back to last year, you have that hemline with Hyman, Engvall, and Mikheyev. They were very, very solid in the regular season when they played together. Sure, a lot of the credit went to Zach Hyman and Mikheyev. They're both good, but Pierre Engvall was a part of that good defensive line. And then if you look into the playoffs against Montreal, Lebda and I criticized Wayne Simmons all season long for his play, his expected goals, his defensive metrics just weren't very good during the regular season last year. He's on a line with Spezza and Engvall in the playoffs, and that line basically didn't give up anything in terms of, of chances for the other team. So I think we have to acknowledge that Pierre Engvall is, is pretty consistently part of good defensive lines. And it's easy to see why. He's, he's tall as a giraffe. He's, he's got such a long stick, which makes it easy for him to break up passing lanes. He's very fast. He actually does have a fair bit of, you know, of, of stick handling ability. He just, for whatever reason, he can't seem to finish. I, I was really hoping he would finish on one of his chances tonight to kind of, you know, calm the wolves on him a little bit. But even if he's not scoring, like, like I've said on this podcast before, the third line tying 0-0 with another team's second line is a huge win. You can say you want more scoring from them. And I'd be okay with seeing Mikheyev on that line to see if you can get more scoring. But to be honest, I think even if you do try Mikheyev on that line, in terms of merit, Pierre Engvall deserves to be on that fourth line a heck of a lot more than Nick Ritchie does. Now, another area of this team that has me extremely excited right now is the power play. They scored another goal tonight. I believe it was their 10th straight game with a power play goal. I'm going to be honest, didn't fact check that, but I think I heard that on the broadcast. And it fits the eye test because they have been on absolute fire lately. They're scoring in a multitude of ways. And they were entering the game there at 25%, which was sixth in the league. They go one for one tonight, so that's only going up. That is just such a relief for all, all of Leafs Nation right now. I really liked what they did tonight. I, I saw the first look that they had on the power play where they had Marner in that, you know, that one-timer slot, even though he's obviously not a one-timer threat at first. I was about to pull out my hair and get angry. But then we just saw a nice rotation from the Leafs. Marner slides down low. Nylander moves into that spot. Tavares goes in the middle. And they just work the puck around. And I like that constant movement. Sure, there are good strategies like Tampa has, like Washington has, where they have a consistent threat. The Stamkos one-timer, the Ovechkin one-timer. But there's something to be said for unpredictability as well. And the Leafs have been moving around nicely. And honestly, for me, as long as Mitch Marner is out of a shooter spot on the power play and he's at least not taking a one-timer spot, this power play will continue to thrive. And I think a big part of it, like we said on the podcast before, has to has to be talk about confidence because I think just those guys being able to see the puck go in one or two games in a row, I think that just... We knew this; these guys had the talent. They're, it, they're absolute kings of scoring at five on five. It would only make sense that they're going to be better with the man advantage. They just had to get out of their head now. We just have to hope that these guys can keep this, maybe not going to this extent, but that they can stay scoring at a consistent rate so that they're going into the playoffs with a ton of confidence because we've said it on this podcast. It is going to be impossible for this team to make a deep run in the playoffs if their power play isn't scoring. Now, another end 
of the special team spectrum has been the penalty kill. They have been absolutely elite lately as well. Every time they get a penalty, like when Hall took his, I wasn't scared at all that the Rangers were going to score. Jack Campbell is so solid there. You have David Kampf winning face-off after face-off, sticks in the lanes, aggressive penalty killing. It's been, it's been great to see this year. Entering the night, the penalty kill was third in the league at 87.8%. They went one for one again. And that's following up a few years where they were at or near the bottom 10 in penalty kill. And it's not just in the raw numbers. It's not just in terms of Jack Campbell being excellent on the penalty kill. Because if you dive deeper into the advanced stats, they're backing up what we're seeing. They're 20, they're at 20% of the Corsi 4 on the penalty kill, which is second in the league. So... They're generating 20% of the shot attempts while they're a man short. They're also third in terms of expected goals on the penalty kill at 18% behind Carolina and somehow Chicago. So this this penalty kill, whether it's been coaching, the, the new additions, it's just, it's looked great all year and the numbers have backed it up. And if we can get our special teams going in, in this kind of rhythm going into the playoffs, it is just it is going to make things so much easier on the Leafs than they've been the last couple of years. Last year, it was the power play that really killed them. And I know time and time again against the Boston Bruins, it was that lethal, lethal power play with Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand that would just torch us time after time. So if we actually have the ability of a guy like Comp to win the faceoffs, Engball getting his stick in those lanes, Comp doing the same, it's just, it's really promising for the Leafs. And thanks to their excellent power play, their excellent penalty kill, and their solid all-around team defense, the Leafs were able to, uh, to wrap up the game 2-1, which brings me to my stars of the game. And, you know, normally I get to choose one, but since I'm doing it solo, I'm going to go with two guys tonight. And the first star, I mean, it's an easy one. If you score two goals in a 2-1 game, you are getting the first star, especially when you played 24 minutes leading the, the team in ice time. I mean, it's got to go to Morgan Riley. He played a great game tonight. And, yeah, he's uh, hopefully he can keep doing that for eight years more because he's going to be a leaf for a long time. And when he, when he has nights like that, it makes him a very, very easy guy to cheer for above and beyond his – his excellent leadership skills. We kind of saw him taking that bit of that leadership role with the whole Dion Phaneuf video where he, he was the one who kind of gave the speech very, very captain like from him. Obviously he had a bit of a relationship with Phaneuf. So it, it made sense that he talked, but you can just see it in the way that he, you know, that he carries himself. He's just, he's one of those guys who's a good team leader and we've seen him be consistently a guy who turns his game up in the playoffs. So Hopefully this is a sign of things to come with this hot streak for Morgan Riley. And with my second star, I mean, he's been, you can pretty much just write his name in Sharpie every game because he is consistently a star. And that is Jack Campbell came into the game with a league leading 943 save percentage and stopped 27 of 28 shots tonight for a 964 save percentage. I thought the team did a really good job defensively around him to make it as easy as they could on him. But there were still a few times when he had to make a couple nice saves and he was always up to the task. He's as good of a goalie as he is a guy. And with that said, that just about does it for this solo edition of the Buds All Day podcast. Now, like I said, uh, Lebdo was at work tonight and if this does happen again, I will try to uh, to maybe get a previous guest like Noah Banks or Dirtbag Daddy on, maybe someone else from the, the Leafs or Butts podcast. I got a few friends on Twitter. 
who want to come on to the show. So uh, we will have some some special content for you guys going forward. We're going to try to do as many games as we can. And as always, if you're not already, give us a follow on Twitter at BudsAllDayCast. What's up, baby?